Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Um, thank you guys for coming tonight. I'm not going to unplug because I like having my microphone around, so we're just going to do it that way. Um, if you've been with us at Thrive before, um, we have just started a new Ecclesiastes sermon series. Um, if you haven't, we have a podcast you can listen to if you're all interested. Um, we're just going through the Bible book of Ecclesiastes currently. Today, we've been talking about uh, past how the nature of life seems, seems vain. Today, we're going to talk about how it's vain to fill the emptiness that we feel in our lives. So it's going to feel great today. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Ecclesiastes 2. Um, We're going to start reading verses 1 through 3. And this is Solomon. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my, char- my, my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So sometimes life feels vain, right? We talked about that. We're going like, to go back and then you know, we're going to go through it that way. Um, but sometimes life feels vain, and we talked about that last week. But maybe I can do stuff that would make it feel less vain. Well, I'm going to sit in this chair maybe and have this conversation. Maybe I can do stuff that makes our lives feel less vain, you know? Life feels vain, but maybe if I hang out with my friends a lot, it'll feel like it, it means, makes sense to me. You know, life feels vain, but maybe if I start having sex with my girlfriend or if I start pushing the boundary this way or I look at porn or whatever I'm doing, this will make me feel a little bit better. Well, life feels vain, but maybe if I just get super drunk. You know, I, I'll forget for a little bit. If I get super hot, I forget for a little bit. Or life feels vain, but maybe if I do some of this stuff, I won't feel that vanity anymore. Because we've all felt that feeling where you just feel like there's, there's no point to it. And Solomon's going to say, right, life feels like there's no point to it. But even what's more has no point to it is trying to fill up that desire with, each, with temporary things. And that's going to lead us to our first point. Temporality does not fulfill eternity. And I'm going to explain that a different way as well. Temporal wants do not fulfill eternal needs. And I have an example of that that I'll do later. All that to say, if I have something temporal, it's not going to fill something that's eternal, the need that's eternal. And Solomon's going along, and he's trying to fill the void in his life. He's trying to fill the void in his heart that we learned last week, which is that eternal feeling that God has put on creation to feel that way. He's trying to fill that feeling, and he's trying to meet that eternal need with temporary desires. And there's a parable that Jesus gave that always really didn't make sense to me. Have, if you've heard it, raise your hand. It's a parable of the unshrunk garment and the wineskins. If you've heard that, raise your hand. Okay, so what? We have five. Good. <clears throat> it's really confusing to me. It's a parable where Jesus says, if you have a new cloth that has a tear in it, you don't put a piece of unshrunk cloth on the garment. Or if you have a wineskin that's old, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. And the point that he's trying to make like that is like, If you've ever had clothes shrink in the wash, he says if you're going to have a shirt that's already been washed and you're going to put a new patch on it, that's also going to shrink. And then your your tear in your clothes is going to be worse. If you're going to, and I don't know if that's the same 2,000 years later or not. Don't ask me. I'm not a washing machine person. But if you have a piece of clothes, right, and it's broken or whatever, and I put this patch on it, so when ancient Palestine, it wasn't going to work. 
And so what that all means is that you don't mix what's old with what's new. You don't mix something that doesn't work with something that does work because it's not going to work. You're not going to put a, you need a time-tested, you know, patch that's going to work. And many of us are, gonna, are trying to do that. We're trying, we have a big problem, and we're trying to use an old solution, right? Our arm got cut off, and we're trying to use a Band-Aid. You know, I have this water filter thing in my house. It's a pre-filter. The water comes from the city, goes up to the house, goes in the softener tank, and it goes into my little water filter because our water quality is bad. And that water pressure that comes through here is huge. I mean, that supplies the water. It's just little pipe supplies the water to my whole house, okay? What happened is, as I was changing the water filter maybe three months ago, it dropped and shattered. And now our house doesn't have water. <laughs> my roommates were so happy about that. It didn't have any water. And so I was like, I really felt bad. Then I was like, oh, wait, I can actually assemble the pieces back together. There were like four or five, pop, 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 perfect. Oh, my gosh. And then I taped it around really good. I was like, this is going to be perfect. Boom, 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 boom. I think I used half the masking tape, boom, 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 right around the whole thing, pound it together. And I even put a little bucket underneath for the little drops that would come, if, if there were even would. It was a great tape job. Even if there would be little drops of water, you know, and so I put, screwed it on. I'm like, I'm a genius. Turn on the water full blast. Pew, everywhere, water, right? Why? Because I have a high-pressure system, and I have a low-pressure solution, right? I have a high-pressure need, but I don't have something that's going to deal with the high-pressure. In life is high pressure, right? If you don't think life is high pressure, you haven't been living. I don't know where you've been at, right? Life is high pressure. We deal with crap that's hard all the time, and it's high pressure. And if you use something that's not able to withstand that, right, it's not going to, that system's not going to work. And so Solomon finds that out, right? Solomon says, well, I tried partying and laughing, and I, I zip, you know, I know life's meaningless, and I just masking taped around it with partying and drinking and laughing and and whatever else, and I, and I screwed it on, bam, that's not going to work. I still feel super empty. Well, maybe I'll try something different. And so he's going to try hard work. And some of you are going to be like that, and we're going to read, actually, verses 4 through 11. So go back into the scripture. So Solomon's going to tell you what he did. So, I tried to see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep for them. And I'll start listening here. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I expended in doing it. Behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained after, under the sun. And so do you hear? That's a very specific part that he says here, right? And if, if you gloss over it, you're going to miss it. This was my reward for all my toil was what? Was it all the work he had done? No. The reward for his toil was the feeling in his heart that he found pleasure from all his toil. 
And what does that mean is means that when Solomon had his heart found pleasure in all his toil, it's worth it to work hard. That's what he's saying, you know. I worked hard. I built all these things. I had all these people. I was the best who'd ever been before me. And I did all that. But then when I got to the top and I finally had arrived, I wasn't happy. I heard this story. I think it was Tom Brady or some great football player who uh, had won the Super Bowl and won, is it MVP in football? Most valuable? Okay. MVP and won the Super Bowl and they went home and cried. Because they said, I was some big TV interview because he said, like, there was just nothing here, right? I, I had done it. This was the goal that I had been working for. I, you know, I was in high school football. I'm going to, you know, get to college. And I was in college football, and I'm going to be the best in the National League. And then you're in the National League, and I'm going to win the Super Bowl. And then you win the Super Bowl, and, oh, there's nothing here. There's nothing here. Why? Because the reward for working hard is the fact that you're working hard and the fact that you feel like you're actually doing something. But when you actually get there, you realize you've been chasing after a goal that doesn't exist the entire time. Some of you are in this stage, you know. Maybe you partied or fooled around in high school or a little bit in college, but now your nose is to the grindstone, you know. Now you're like, no, I'm going to be good. I'm going to do what's right. I'm just going to work hard because I'm going to get a good job and I'm going to get a good car and I'm going to have a family who loves me and I'm going to provide for them. And that's about, that's going to be probably it. And, and if that's the goal, the most fulfilling time in your life will be working for that. Because once you have all those things, if you ever do get all those things, once you have all those things, it's, going to be, it's not going to be what it cracks up to be, right? That's what Solomon says here. And some of us need a priority shift. We need to stop thinking about how, how to get a good job, and we need to start thinking about how good of a father we have in Christ. And we need to stop thinking about how we're going to make so much money, and we need to start thinking about how we're going to make disciples of, of Jesus Christ. We need to stop thinking about we need to stop working for a good life, and we need to start receiving the eternal life that's offered us through Christ. Because this is the thing, and this is made, I mean, and you can do this if you want, you know. Stupid kid in a hoodie and pants, you know, is talking about Jesus up here. Yeah, you have to say that. You're an idiot, right? Fine. Do it yourself. But I guarantee, and we've all done this, you know, you are going to get to a point in your life and you're going to be like, wow, this is worthless, Right? And he talks later in this chapter about how it's worthless. Even at night, his heart does not find rest. Right? And if you try to build up a life, right, if you are trying to have a high-pressure system and then screw on a taped water filter thing, it's not going to work. Right? You need something that's designed for the high pressure. And these things that are temporal, that are, that are earthly, that aren't going to fill are the desires and the needs that we have in our heart. So, oh, sorry. So then in verse 12, Solomon says, and then basically he's tried it with these, he's tried it with vanity and he's tried it with laughter and drinking and all these things. Then he's tried it with hard work. So then he goes and he's like, maybe the, what I need to start looking after is being smart, is being intelligent, is being wise. So then he goes in verse 12 through 17, he says, so I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So now, we can't find fulfillment in these visceral ones. We can't find fulfillment in the works of working hard, right, at the end. So he tries to be intellectual savvy. He tries to be intellectually smart. He says there's more gain in wisdom than there is in, fut- than there is in folly. And it's like, I was trying to think of a good example. Like, and if I walk into a room that's dark, the first thing I do, and I probably look like an idiot, but I do this on the wall, right? I'm trying to find the light switch. You know, and I just do that. And I probably look like an idiot. 
but what nobody can see me, right? Because nobody can, you know, just like that. Now, if you had your night vision goggles on, you're like, that dude's a freak, feeling up and down the wall. Or, you know, if you're, in a, if you're walking in a room, you know, and you're, it's dark, and you stub your toe, and you hit your waist, and you're stepping on crap, right? Why? Because you can't see anything. And Solomon says, as stupid as that looks to someone who can actually see, is as stupid as it looks when people are walking around and doing what's wrong, right? This whole part here is basically Solomon saying the John Wayne quote, life's hard, it's harder if you're stupid, right? So finally, now we have fulfillment. Now Solomon's got it, right? Okay, well then that's it, right? What's, what's good is that we need to be wise and we just need to know, oh, but then what does Solomon say in the next part of the verse? And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity, for as of the wise and as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, and all is vanity and a striving after the wind. It's like if I have two people... And they, you know, who's watched Squid Games in here? This is off the cuff, so maybe this isn't going to work. Never mind, I'm not going to use an example. Um, let's say we're on a big treadmill, right? And we can't go back. We only, can only go forward on this treadmill. And it's into this giant pit, and you're going to die the moment that you drop over, right? And half of you can see, and then the half are blindfolded, right? Does it matter that you can see that you're going to fall into that pit? Really? I mean, you're not going to be able to do anything, right? This is just going to you. Or if there's a pit in the middle and you're just walking, right? The blindfolded person doesn't know what's going to happen. Bam, they don't know what's going on, right? You can see what's going on, but it doesn't matter. The same event happens to all of you. If we want, walked through a cemetery together and I looked at somebody, I'd be like, was this person wise or stupid? You know what you'd say to me? I don't know. They're dead. Because death is the final caveat. And that's another point that we have here. Death is our final caveat. Because as they say, dead men tell no tales, right? I, once you're dead, it's going to be really hard to decide whether you were smart or not. And Solomon looks at that and he says, that's vanity. What? So now he's gone through all this stuff. He's been trying to do the visual stuff, you know, trying to make himself feel good. Then he's like, no, I'm going to work hard. And then he's like, no, I'm going to be really smart. None of it works, right? Because you die at the end anyway. And he's like, what's the point of that? And so then we have this super like emo phase here where he says, now I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be a master of which for all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave up my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even the night, in the night his heart does not rest. So homeboy's depressed, and that, that verse just cuts me to the heart. For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, he does not rest. Sometimes it just feels like that. You're going through life, and you're like, oh, this is horrible. And you're super tired throughout the whole day, and then you go to bed, and you can't fall asleep. And you're like, 
what is going on, right? Sometimes life just feels like that. Sometimes life just sucks. It's pretty depressing. And same king, you know, literally, Solomon is trying to fill this, his void in his heart up with these, etern- with these temporal things, a void that was meant for eternity. And he can't do it. It's foolishness. And so what does he recommend, right? Let's, we'll finish in this chapter, like, what does Solomon recommend? What does he say? Basically, there's nothing that I can recommend to you is what he says. But he does says in verse 24, there's nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is a vanity and a striving after wind. And this is going to lead us to our final point. What Solomon can teach us here is that we should keep things in their place. Right? There are a lot of good gifts that we have on earth. Right? Uh, I love steak. Love steak. I love ginger ale. I can't tell you how much I love ginger ale. The Seagram or the um, Canada Dry, the Blackberry Canada Dry in the cans, anybody? No, nobody cares about that. Oh, so good, right? I love that. I love when it's after a rain and you go outside and it feels like a cool humidity. I love when you go and wake up and you see a bright sunrise. I love holidays and I love laughter and I love seeing people and I love love, right? We have tons of good gifts as people here, as humans. The issue is when we take those things and we make them the ultimate things, when we realize that we have this, this is really hard to meander around, when we have this like, this, this yearning in our heart, and we're like, we need to fill it, right? C.S. Lewis said, when you're hungry, you eat. When you're thirsty, you drink, right? But when you feel this feeling, what do you fill that with? If there's a feeling in your heart for that, there has to be something to fulfill it. And so in our hearts, we have this feeling, and we're like, well, nothing I know fills it up. Maybe I try this, 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 this. Solomon's like, it doesn't work. And you can either believe what he says. I mean, it would save you a lot of pain, I think, or you can do it yourself and come back to me later, tell me, you know, how, how it's gone. But it's like there is so much pain in the world that can be saved if you realize that there's a way that seems right to a man, but it's end his death. There's a way that seems like this is going to bring me fulfillment and joy and peace. And if it's not given by God, it's not. And this is where we're going to go. And even in Ecclesiastes 11, 16 through 17, this is just kind of biblical impetus for that. He says, uh, happy are you, O land, or woe to you, O land. I don't have it on my paper. There it is. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. And that verse always, Ecclesiastes is always confusing, but that verse I was always like, what's that mean? And I think what that means is like it's important to keep things in their place. Right? If I have a king who's the son of nobility, he's a king by blood. Right? When they feast at the proper time, and they're not just feasting to get drunk, right? They're doing it at the proper time. And he says in another place, there's a just time and a proper way for everything. We have, there is a proper time and a proper way for everything, and we keep things in their place. Because the moment we make good things, great things, the moment we make gifts, the ultimate thing in our life, it's going to be vanity. How do I know that? I've experienced that in my life. Solomon's experienced that in his life. And so, so it's not depressing town before we end. We're going to flip over to 1 John 2, 15 through 17. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it here to you. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, 
is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Right? And that's what Solomon's saying. The world is passing away. It's futile. It's vain. There's nothing I can hold on to. It's a mist. It's a vapor. It's a breath. It's gone. I can't grab a hold of it. Right? I, tr- I tried it with, tr- with doing all these things, with drinking, with sex, with money, with power, with fame. I tried it with being, with being really good and working really hard. And I, I tried it with being smart. And I tried it with just completely giving up. Right? I couldn't find it. Right? Why? Because the world is passing away. It's transient. It's temporary. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And we shouldn't be buying the cheap substitutes that the world is trying to offer us to fulfill that. You have that desire in your heart, I have that desire in my heart. But we shouldn't be buying the substitute that the world is going to offer us that, oh, all you need is a new iPhone 14, you won't feel like that anymore. All you need is a motorcycle or whatever that is, you won't feel like that anymore, or a nice truck, right? No, right? Only God is going to fulfill that in our lives. There was a time that I was working at a dead-end job. It wasn't dead-end, but it was dead-end. I, you guys probably know this already. I would wake up at 4.30. So it was probably three years ago. I would get there at 6, and I would either leave at like 6 onward. Sometimes it was 6. I would leave there sometimes at 10. Then drive an hour and a half back, take a shower, go to bed, wake up, and then work again at 4.30. And what was hard about that is not that it was hard work, although it was, though as hard as that I felt hopeless. I didn't feel like there was anything worth it. Um, and then I went, and it was big Amish land down there, and I, there was a newspaper article that this Amish person had written a little quote in, and it said, death is not an extinguishing of the light. It is putting out the candle because dawn has come. And I thought, this vanity that we all are subject to, this meaninglessness, this hopelessness, this was Solomon's greatest fear, right? Why are we working? Why are we doing all this crap if we're all going to die at the end? Solomon's greatest fear becomes our greatest hope. We're not worried about dying. We're not worried about death. We're not worried about vanity as Christians because we know that we have a God who the world is passing away. He's told us that. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so when we die, right, when we feel like our dreams and our, our expectations about life are coming to an end, we know that we're not extinguishing the light, but that we're just putting out the candle because dawn has come, because something better is being offered to us. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, this stuff is hard, and we wouldn't be teaching about it if we didn't feel like it was something that was horribly pressing on um, just people today, God just this idea of vanity and of worthlessness and of purposelessness that so many of us feel. Maybe we won't admit it. Maybe we won't tell our friends, but we feel it in our heart that we're just unloved, that we're just unwanted. And God, it's you who keeps us through that. It's the idea that there is a God in heaven who loves us, who has set his desire on us, who died to save us, God, and that you died to save us from the meaninglessness and the futility that we feel in our lives, God. And we accept that promise that you give us of eternal life, God. We accept that from you. But we would just pray that you would strengthen and comfort our hearts, even as we suffer with these things now, God. That we would understand that we have a God in heaven who loves us, who cares about us, and wants our lives to never be the same.